Hello and welcome this evening to this Microsoft EU presidency debate with your active. Today we're going to be talking about the AI Act and specifically how it needs to align with other international policies on artificial intelligence. I'm Jennifer Baker. I'm a policy journalist based here in Brussels and I'll be your moderator this evening. We will have opportunities for those in the room here in Microsoft to ask questions using a microphone and also for those of you joining online. But let's set the scene first a little bit. We all know that the EU AI Act was proposed by the European Commission back in 2021. It seems a lot longer ago now as we've seen so many iterations and backs and forths on how it's going to be managed. As we all know, essentially, it's a risk-based approach. We'll talk a bit more about that on our panel and how that works alongside the other international movements that are also happening. Because we have seen as well the G7 leaders agreed to establish the Hiroshima AI process in May. The Council of Europe is, of course, working on its own guidelines as well. And what we need to see globally avoided is a patchwork effect where different AI rules compete with each other. Earlier this year, in July, Spain took over the rolling EU presidency and put it as a top priority to really try and get the AI Act through the trialogues, through those long negotiations by the end of this year, which is a tall order. We're right at the end of the process, so there's still a lot to discuss, even though we haven't seen a final text, but we certainly know what's likely to be in and out of it. So... I'm going to hand over to uh, say a warm welcome to our host here this evening, to Nana Louise Linda, Vice President of European Government Affairs at Microsoft. Thank you very much. Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome. Uh, what a whirlwind it's been lately. In my 18 years at Microsoft, I've never seen so many changes in such a short time. And the catalyst is, of course, AI. Uh, and AI every day unreals new efficiency at our work uh, and our personal lives. Uh, I see new examples every day on how this new technology changes uh, our daily lives or solves societal problems. Last Friday, I spoke to my sister. She's a doctor in a big hospital in Denmark. And uh, she told me that at the University of Copenhagen, they are uh, now launching a groundbreaking AI model called U-Sleep. And it's transforming sleep disorder treatment. So it's a PhD student who invented it. And it segments sleep recordance into sec seconds, a task that once took many hours to do. And while it's not diagnosing anything, it does provide doctors with rapid data-rich insights so that they can better find the right cure for the patient. And I think that's just one example of uh, how AI will help in the health sector and in many other sectors. And um, of course, with the great potential for this technology comes great questions. Um, <clears throat> how do we harness AI for good? How do we address the challenges it brings? And how do we control such a powerful tool? We actually already five years ago at Microsoft started to look into these questions 
we set up an Office of Responsible AI. And um, in 2018, they came up with some core principles that we decided to let guide us when we build the product, when we test the product, and so on. And it's about transparency, responsibility, accountability, fairness, inclusiveness. And uh, that guides us actually in every aspect of our work. But it's, of course, not only a private sector task. Uh, the EU is leading with its AI Act and hope that it will be a blueprint for using tech for social good. And the Spanish presidency, as you said, is pivotal. The focus on finalizing the AI Act isn't just about speed. It's about striking the right balance for AI across Europe. And it's about making sure that Europe and European companies, European governments, can leverage all the opportunities that AI brings and at the same time set the right guardrails. So why is today's discussion so important? As we anticipate the AI Act's final touches, it's essential to align Europe's stands with the global AI initiatives, like the Hiroshima process. It's about setting a precedence, okay. not only just for now, but the, for the future of AI governance. And a few weeks ago, I, we had the pleasure here to host Anne, Anne Bradford. And I think I saw some of you there um, to talk about her new book, Digital Empires. And it's, it's, it's really a must read. Um, she really brilliantly delineates the digital empires, China, the US, Europe, each with a distinct tech regulation approach. And Europe stands out with its right-based approach. And I think that is a good approach for regulation. Um, I think part of Microsoft's success is that we tuned in on uh, our technology's impact, and this was key to our success. Um, but I commend the Spanish presidency, the parliament, the commission for steering the AI Act towards our shared European values. Um, we need to have a global, an eye to the global context when doing that and at the same time stay true to those values. So with that, I'm hoping that uh, we'll have a good discussion and uh, really excited for the dialogue ahead. Thank you. Well, thank you very much. Indeed, as you say, it has been a whirlwind and I'm sure we will have plenty to discuss over the next hour or so. Just a reminder of a little bit of housekeeping, if you do want to ask questions, you can use the box on your screen if you're joining online. And once again, those in the room, we will have microphones if you want to raise your hand and ask a question of our panelists. You also have the option of using Slido. You can go to slido.com on your smartphones or on your browsers and use the hashtag AI governance 
Or if you're here in the room, you can scan that big QR code and put your questions to our panelists using that. It's all very GDPR friendly. There's no need to download anything and you can be anonymous if you want to be. With that, I was going to introduce our speakers. Unfortunately, I know we wanted to talk a lot about the Spanish presidency, but very last minute, uh, Diego Rubio unfortunately cannot attend today and sends his regrets, but not to worry because we do have some excellent panelists. We have joining us from the European Parliament, Iban Garcia del Blanco, who is a rapporteur on the framework of the ethical aspects of AI intelligence, robotics and related technologies. We also have joining Raquel Jorge Ricard, who is the Technology Policy and International Affairs at Elcano Royal Institute. Uh, Raquel, I believe you are connected. Paula Gürtler is Research Assistant at Global Governance, Regulation, Innovation and Digital Economy, or GRID, Department at CEPS, the Centre for European Policy Studies. And last but not least, Marco Bianchini is Economist and Coordinator of the Digital for SMEs Global Initiative at OECD. So if I could have my panellists, thank you very much, join me on stage. We will have a big room. Oh, gift you. We will grab a seat and we will get you a handheld microphone. Of course, Ivan, people need to be able to hear your thoughts and what's going on in the Parliament as well. But before we even start with you, we do have uh, another rapporteur from the European Parliament, uh, not able to be with us here in person, but Brando Benefe, who is co-rapporteur, as we all know, on the AI Act, has sent us this video message. Let's have a look. Thank you for this invitation. Unfortunately, I cannot be with you in person, but I will try to give you a little contribution to this debate with this video. Um, it's very important that we talk about AI in this moment because we are in the middle of negotiations with uh, uh, Council, Parliament and Commission. It's uh, uh, a, a moment where we are uh, paving the way for uh, the AI legislation uh, in Europe. Uh, but this is also something important looking at the global uh, cooperation perspective. If we have an AI Act in Europe approved in a few weeks, this is uh, our uh, hope, uh, it will be a building block of a global uh, order around AI. Today we have a code of conduct on generative AI for the G7. We have um, a debate ongoing at UN level. We have OECD working on important issues like the definition of AI systems. And we have also a an effort on the standardization that is starting with the involvement of the business uh, sector. This needs to be put into some uh, order. I didn't mention also the executive order uh, of the US uh, of President Biden. But this, again, needs to be put in a, a connection um, that is still not there. Uh, there is an ongoing uh, exchange, but we need to uh, align um, uh, our work as much as possible. We will not have all the same approaches. We are sure about that. You have seen also the UK summit, where there were different approaches on the table. And also, we can say, um, maybe a difference uh, in, uh, in the tone of the whole meeting uh, from uh, uh, the fundamental rights and the consumer protection and protection of small businesses to a larger safety uh, perspective. 
I think these are two important elements to put on the table. We, we have, to some extent, uh, some different paths on what we need to protect uh, with uh, um, legislation and uh, also the voluntary codes, uh, the voluntary recommendations on, on AI. On one end, we have domestic daily risks of AI. Uh, AI Act is a lot about that. What happens with the um, uh, risky uh, areas of use case of AI? So when we look at the use of health, the use, uh, the use in, the, in the context of health, sorry, of uh, the administration of justice, the workplace, the schools, in these areas, we have uh, defined uh, uh, the high-risk uh, applications of AI. And we uh, propose a conformity assessment and also, probably, we are still negotiating, a fundamental rights impact assessment for the deployer, while the conformity assessment is for the provider of the uh, system, uh, that will protect from discrimination, algorithmic biases, security uh, risks, uh, health, um, the impact on, uh, um, on uh, personal life, on human rights, etc. Uh, this is something to address the issues that raise from uh, the impact on our daily lives from, from uh, the intake of AI. And uh, also we, we, we are going in the AI Act to the point of prohibiting some uses, for example, some parts of the surveillance through biometric cameras. But there is also the other perspective, the systemic uh, risk perspective, the global threats pers perspective, the weaponization of AI. We could discuss a lot about these uh, larger scale issues that do not impact singularly on the individual. Yes, they do, but they have a... Um, a, a massive perspective, a, a, a larger perspective that is not linked to the uh, experience of a single person. But it's um, a, a, a series of issues that have um, uh, some uh, also, we can say, um, um, perspective on the future, because we are today discussing about the risks of AI getting out of control, um, AI being uh, um, uh, able to surpass human intelligence, becoming the general artificial intelligence. And this kind of debates that you know we had with uh, CEOs, academics, uh, and uh, the global community. I think this is another story. And to tackle this aspect fully, we really need global cooperation. It's impossible that an AI act, although we will deal with some issues around the most powerful models. We are still discussing about that, but we will uh, discuss about systemic risks around the most powerful models. We are still trying to find a balance around the risk-based approach and these uh, pre-market uh, systemic risk uh, uh, preoccupation. But um, it will not be sufficient. To deal with these issues, we need a global cooperation. And so we need to uh, continue working so that we have some minimum standards that are uh, um, uh, uh, interoperable and that can build a safety net for AI on a global scale. Um, this needs a corpus of uh, not just institutional cooperation, but I want to say very clearly international law around artificial intelligence. And we need 
global bodies that are able to deal with that. I mean, next year in Italy with the uh, G7, we will continue working on, 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 on this AI uh, issue. Uh, uh, G20 is also taking uh, uh, its attention on that. We need that EU is ready to give its contribution with the AI Act being approved uh, and also uh, starting the implementation so that we can also learn what is, might not be okay uh, and what should be adjusted, keeping flexibility and adaptability of this legislation. So we are in a crucial moment. It's important that we continue the debate. I hope these few reflections could help the discussion that you are having. Thank you very much and let's keep in touch. Indeed. Thank you very much, Brando, for the message. Uh, we know that his schedule is incredibly busy at the moment, as one can imagine. Um, Iman, let's, uh, let's delve into what we're really talking about here. I remember it was, I checked, it was 2016 when I first was in this room talking about, or in the Microsoft Center, talking about robotics. And back then we had a, a rather unsophisticated view. Um, somebody always mentioned Asimov's first law of robotics in, in relation to AI and saying a robot may not injure a human being or through an action allow a human being to come to harm. We've got a lot more sophisticated since then uh, in terms of what we're talking about with AI. But we're still talking about harms here, aren't we? We're still questioning the idea of risk. So give us your perspective on those European Parliament amendments, how they relate to risk and how they relate to harm. Yeah. Ah, okay. Perfect. Thanks. It's running. Uh, thank you so much first for, for, your, for the invitation and to to be for, for for being part of this of this interesting panel and this interesting reflection, of course uh, we are aware that uh, AI can bring innumerable uh, benefits, but at the same time inherent inherent risks. And my colleague was uh, was mentioning some examples uh, that we had to, to to deal with. Uh, we can ignore uh, these risks, and we are trying yeah to find uh, a right balance between them in order not to, to hamper innovation, to hamper development in the European Union, but at the same time uh, making, uh, making, making us responsible about uh, trying to, to, to be in, advanced, uh, in advance of this kind of, 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 of possible mistakes, uh, possible risks, and at the same time uh, thinking about uh, a possible, uh, a possible uh, compensation in, in order uh, to to, to acknowledge that could have this kind of problems in the, in the future. Um, we, of course, in, in the European Parliament, and my, my colleague mentioned that, uh, we, are co of course, are, are trying to defend what was our mandate. Uh, that was uh, the, the final outcome of uh, a global reflection uh, for more than, than four or five years. Uh, we are almost uh, reaching these this five years of reflection inside. And taking into account or, or, or taking consideration that we know that member states are in, in, a, in some cases in a different mood. But we are trying to be a stick, uh, what, uh, what we consider are uh, the main uh, features of this regulation that uh, might be, uh, as was uh, mentioned before uh, too, might be th this compass or we pretend, pretend to, 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 to create this, this kind of global compass for the, a global regulation on, on artificial intelligence. And in this regard, yeah, we tried to uh, make an approach to uh, this regulation of artificial intelligence by the criteria 
of uh, the likely uh, risk uh, from uh, these kind of, of, of uses. That is uh, the, the general, the general um, uh, criteria. Uh, this kind of uses that must be uh, directly uh, prohibited and uh, passing by this kind of uses that could be entailed by, by this title of high risk approaches. Some uh, uh, medium, uh, medium uh, categorized uh, uses that could be uh, object or subject of some uh, impositions of, 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 of uh, a special responsibilities in, in, in a matter, for example, of, of transparency and the rest of the uses that uh, beforehand uh, are not controlled, but theoretically speaking, technically speaking, has to, uh, have to be at the same time uh, under uh, a, a, a global, uh, a global, uh, uh, a global, global ground of uh, common principles uh, that we are discussing now. Uh, at the trilogues, uh, at the trilogues, uh, trilogue if they must be in the articles or, or must be some kind of, of principles that are allowed outside, but in any case, that are important for any kind of use of uh, uh, artificial intelligence inside the union. This is the general approach uh, about this topic. Uh, uh, we are trying to, to yeah, uh, to, to finish uh, our work. My, my colleague said that uh, he's hopeful to reach a final agreement. That's true. We have to, 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 to rely on our uh, capacity, our will to find a, 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 a final agreement. Uh, it, is, it, is, it, is, it, it is new that uh, in some concrete uh, nuances are quite difficult to reach a common position with, with Consul. Uh, and we are uh, speaking about things like uh, yeah, uh, the prohibitions, things about the extension even of the concept of, of, of high-risk application. Because more or less we are agree, we agree about the the sensitive fields that must be under under this cover of a high risk, but in which extent uh, is a matter of, of discussion inside the these trilogues. And of course, from this point on, we are discussing about uh, in which way Europe could be, as I said at the beginning, this global compass, and in which way we could uh, we could encourage these all uh, superpowers of these all uh, these all uh, different regions of the world to, to, to reach a final agreement about basic concept, concepts. That is important to take in, into account that uh, it, it, it might be difficult sometimes to put on, on common uh, some uh, principles that for us are, are quite evident and quite, quite basic, but from, but from a cultural uh, perspective, and of course, from a, a political point of view, from a systemic point of view, would be not, not that so for some parts of the of the world, but uh, anyway, I think that uh, there's a common and, and was 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 uh, was enhancing the, 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 the this this common uh, knowledge about the, that we know at a global sphere some kind of 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 of, 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 of shared principles, and I think that we have a, a real chance to put into common to put in common this uh, this risk that every one of us. Uh, are in the mood uh, to uh, deal with, to tackle. No? Um, as a, a matter of example, uh, I, I took note at the very beginning of this, uh, this draft that was released by China about uh, this general purpose model, uh, because in, 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 in a theory, in a theoretical point of view, uh, in a general point, of, in a general approach, 
might be so similar to the general approach that the European Parliament made about the regulation of uh, these general purpose models, because they identified more or less the same risk that we identified uh, afterwards. So there are common spheres, common fields in, in which uh, we could be agreed with other parts of the world, taking note that, of course, there are quite huge differences, mainly about the uses, mainly about the uses. Think about, for instance, the question of a massive, massive surveillance no? uh, uh, between China, China or a democracy like, like ours. But yeah, uh, we are in this point, and uh, of course we are uh, we are eager to find a, a final agreement that must be uh, before the end of this year. On this question of, of aligning internationally, we've got and, and cultural sensibilities, we, we will have time to debate that a little bit further. Um, Raquel, let me ask you to, to give us your opening thoughts. I mentioned about how we used to think very much in terms of harms, and some approaches that sound a little bit alarmist. I mean, isn't the AI governance that we need really just like any other bit of legislation and what makes it different what what is the pressing need that we see yes i will uh, jennifer thank you very much very much and uh, also a to thank you thank you Raquel, I think we'll let you get that sorted out. And what I'll do is I'll uh, I'll turn to Paula here in the room to, to for her opening thoughts, and we'll we'll come back to you. So so hold your powder. We'll we'll join you in a moment. Um, Paula, the same question to you. I mean, give me your opening perspective. Are we approaching AI in the right way? Are we striking the right balance between wanting to push innovation and all the great things AI can do for us, and the the slightly more oh softly softly we we need to worry about risks approach. Um, yeah, sure. Thank you for the invitation and thank you for the question, Jennifer. Um, yeah, I think to me in preparing for this panel, what I was thinking about mostly is about global AI governance and how crowded the space is. We already heard in the tr introduction, OECD has principles on AI, which they released already in 2019. So four years ago, this is not new anymore, but we're moving so quickly in this sphere that I think it is still um, very much something that we're trying to redefine over and over again. What are shared principles that we can come to terms with? Um, then, of course, we have the Global Partnership on AI, GPI. We have uh, the G7 Hiroshima process that was mentioned from this year. We have the G20 Osaka Leadership Declaration from 2019, UNESCO recommendations, and then the UN now has also the Global Advisory Body on AI. So just, just to set the scene uh, once more, as one does on a panel, on how crowded it is, um, but it also illustrates a greater pen, uh, potential for international cooperation on AI. Um, and I would say there are three main areas in which global cooperation can be particularly fruitful. The first one is sharing knowledge on how domestic AI regulation and governance is going. For example, what are loopholes in the regulation that we set up that can be exploited? Or also figuring out what works, what doesn't work. Are we really affecting innovation once regulation is in place? Um, the second area for international cooperation, I would say, is managing extraterritorial effects of AI regulation and technologies deployed domestically. And I see standards as one of the main areas for cooperation in this regard, in this area, um, because it helps us to find a common language, to find a different way of 
yeah, making compliance possible and less costly for business. And then the third one, and I think there we don't do nearly enough, um, and that is on ensuring that benefits are shared widely across within societies and across societies, especially globally. Uh, we see a widening of inequalities, and I think algorithmic divide is also something to look out for. So I think in this area, we still see a lot of room for improvement. And I would say that the UN advisory body is a good step in the right direction because it is trying to be more inclusive. And it also has a mandate on focusing on global AI enablers. So not just on the risk, but also how can we make sure that everybody can benefit from this technology. Um, yeah, just to, <laughs> just to finish with maybe a cheesy image, but if we do want to have global AI governance, we need everyone around the table. And I think with AI in particular, that means that we need to help some um, countries build those chairs in the first place. But I understand that this is first the priority needs to be wrapping up the AI Act, and then we can look further maybe. But those are my opening thoughts. <laughs> Absolutely. And you raised the issue of standards. And I think standardization may be one way in which you really can get everyone singing from the same hymn sheet, as it were. Um, shall we turn to Marco? I think uh, to get your opening thoughts, Marco, uh, can you hear us well? Yes, 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 I can, yes, hear, I can hear you. Well, give us your give us your perspective. So, you heard so, there from our, from our two MEPs and also uh, from uh, Paula. What's your perspective on whether we are approaching the whole process of regulating AI correctly? So, indeed, so this, this is quite this is quite something that's quite, quite, quite our minds at the moment. moment which we are trying trying really to give, give uh, uh, a perspective, perspective and help help as, as we can regulate ourselves within the OECD and beyond the OECD to actually actually again reach agreement reach a common stand stand. In order in to, order to um, um, again, again, to get to, to get some, to some, uh, uh, something to share, share both in this, in this, 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 this book was book before me, before me, touch the touch this, so, so, so get on some share, 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 by different by actors, different actors across, the across the world. Uh, of course, uh, of you know course, that space you know, is we need, we need most, most the uh, international cooperation, cooperation on regulation, regulation other spaces, spaces in this in the more competitive, competitive international. international. So, so by construction, we know these are the most hardest places to find cooperation, to find effective ways of allowing the interest. Again, again, in itself. But in particular, we say that. Indeed, timing, timing is of the essence, essence when we talk when about, about AI, AI because the uh, uh, OECD issued its policy in 2019. So, so 2019 means pre-COVID, means pre-history right, 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 right now, think about it. Think about it. Which means Which that, means that uh, uh, I, mean, I mean, this point is uh, uh, one point related to regulation, regulation in this area, it's common regulation, but in particular in this area, it is so fast, for policymakers keep the pace of innovation is particularly challenging. Because of course, of course, already our principles are for 2019, then after that we started working on try to apply them to COVID, but then now if you want to check some of the work we did with years ago, on the, on the application of principles in 2021, it would be a lot about COVID and facing emergencies of that kind. So again, today it would be completely out of the uh, of the news cycle, out of the things that people are really thinking about. Thinking about. So this means that also um, 
policymaking and regulatory bodies need to keep at the pace. And in this sense, I think the uh, European Union has, uh, I mean, the, especially the Commission and all the discussion on the AI, AI Act uh, is really a case study that I think also in the future will be considered. So in the sense that I think indeed uh, with the UAI Act, uh, you were saying that was proposed years ago, the Commission was moving uh, uh, quite fast and they were quite uh, adults of other, uh, of other parts of the world, of other actors around the world. And uh, indeed, when the AI came to discussion already in 2022, it was, uh, let's say, it was well set to set up again what we call the Brussels effect, so the, the, what we call the regulatory superpower. So to try to, to have a, an approach to AI that then would have uh, been shared across uh, in the whole world. And then ChatGPT happened. So uh, let's say that at, by the end of 2022, there was this uh, groundbreaking innovation that kind of uh, capsized every discussion we have had up to the moment on artificial intelligence. Not completely, of course, but it really changed a bit the issue at hand because we are still talking with the, techn the technology made the leap that, of course, was not yet in the regulation. So many things have to be rethought. And I think as well, the, again, some of the MEPs that spoke before me, they said, I mean, they've been, I think, working very hard in the last year on this. And I think also the very good work, but indeed it shows how tough it is to keep pace. Uh, in this sense, for the um, uh, again from the perspective of the OECD, and again I work specifically in the Center for Entrepreneurship and SMEs. So let's say I, from what my work, of course, my colleagues, uh, we are the ones in my organization has produced the principles, and in the principles we know that what we look at are a general principle that we think can be shared and have been approved as well by 46 countries. So basically between OECD countries and partner countries, including in the 20 that are also beyond the OECD. So again, we're not talking only about Europe. We are talking about uh, the US, Canada, Japan, Korea, Australia, so uh, Mexico, Colombia. So again, very a broader set of countries beyond the European Union. And again, some of these principles focused on inclusive growth, well-being, human-centered value and fairness, transparency and explainability, robustness, security and safety of AI systems, as well as accountability. These are the five principles that are at the core of the OECDI principle. But when we have, but of course, this, we are talking about principles, but where the discussion is now, and I think uh, Mr. Garcia del, del Blanco was making this point very clearly, the point is now looking at the application, looking to which extent regulation should apply to different applications, that's where the devil is. That's what that, these are the details in which the devils lie, and that's also what really can change the and in, the impact the industry ha, uh, heavily because nobody wants to overregulate. Everybody wants to, and especially I, I can say in the European Union, of course, nobody wants to miss the uh, the as we know that already the US again having released some widely used uh, world. Global applications are already kind of ahead in this race. Nobody wants to miss the train, but at the same time, we want to guarantee the safety of, uh, of our citizen. And again, from my perspective, working with small businesses and entrepreneurs, also our small business and entrepreneurs, and I will close on this uh, on two sides. So thinking of the small businesses and entrepreneurs in the ICT sector, so the ones that actually will probably will try to develop apps and software based on these large uh, language models, on these what we call foundation models. And so again, that regulation will be very important to see where the burden of regulation will uh, will hit harder, basically. So who will be needing to comply to hard regulation? If the cost of that will be more on the on the ones that are that will be creating the foundation models or on the small businesses that will uh, 
create a specific, very often specific applications based on these large models. And on the other side, on all the other SMEs and entrepreneurs. So basically on the, the rest of the world. So any SMEs in any sector of every dimension that will very likely use this kind of technology. Because again, uh, we think that really this time is different. And so in this sense, the OECD is trying in, uh, with, with all its powers and with the different, uh, the convening power that we have to facilitate international discussion about this and to try to provide the policymakers with the most updated information that are well, thank you, Marco. I mean, when you're talking about how it's going to work in practice, we're getting a little bit onto implementation stage. We won't jump ahead just yet to that, but we will certainly talk about a little bit in uh, the rest of our discussion. Raquel, let me come back and see whether we have a good connection with you now. Um, you've heard now from the other opening speakers, which I guess has given you a head start. So tell us a bit more about what you understand about how we're moving forward with the regulation. Yes, again, thank, thank you very much. I think people have the text, so that's good news. Well, uh, just to be brief, based on the comments from my co-panelists, the main idea here is that when we when it comes down to AI Act, we have to think about something that we touch on the digital single market. It has indeed a strong implications at the national level, sometimes direct, sometimes indirect. The AI Act does not necessarily include the explicitly applications in global goals. Yeah, what we can draw from some examples having currently as present times is that in recent years we've seen sort of pattern, sort of trend where where a specific number of countries have to have together to speed up specific processes and decisions on certain protocols and usages of AI. This will probably mean lateral coalition. And now during these two three last years we will see that some international organizations such as when they have decided to resolve their policies being uh, a Raquel, I think, unfortunately, I'm going to have to stop you there. I don't think we're actually being able to understand very clearly. We're missing every every few words. Um, apologies for that. I'm once again going to have to move back to, to our, our guests in the room. And we will, I promise, try to get back to you at least to get uh, a reaction from you and a synopsis from you on, on our discussion. Um, apologies for the technological hitches this evening. Um, let me come back to you, Imam. We've, we've jumped around a little bit there. We heard about the OECD principles. Um, we talked about perhaps the exporting, if you like, of regulations from the EU. Now, I know this is something following the GDPR, the General Data Protection Regulation, that the European Commission sees as, as an agenda, as it were, uh, one to being able to set the standards. Um, we will come back to standards and standardization as well. But to be the leading light. Now, there is a risk, uh, as, as Marco was saying, that you go too fast or to want to be the leader. You go too soon uh, and suddenly things have overtaken you by the time legislation is on the books. Is that something you're seeing happening with the current very fast push uh, for the AI Act in Europe? And microphone. No, um, I, I was to I, I was to say that uh, from my point of view, we were not that fast. Uh, uh, that's true that uh, we took uh, the the reflection on, on on a general approach of a general regulation on artificial intelligence so soon, but it took us uh, so many years. And uh, we are discussing now, uh, still discussing about the, the main figures and main topics. 
about the main issues about this this revelation so uh, we are we are taking time uh, for uh, to reflect uh, quite deeply in some aspects on on that and uh, being aware that we are not going to be uh, to be able to regulate every de detail every topic about artificial intelligence and must be uh, a lot of important uh, uh, regulations or or, or 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 agreements with the private sector that we'll take uh, we have to take in, in the future uh, that that's true and uh, additionally we're quite aware too that uh, we need uh, to put on the table uh, the possibility the the the, the, the chance uh, to put in common uh, as as we were uh, to the, talking today to put in common with with other regions of the world some kind of of, of general and world world standards that is the that that is the 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 the, the state of facts because yeah uh, we began in, in 2019 uh yes after uh, the oecd principles were published uh, to working on on these uh, general uh, principles or ethical uh, principles uh, applicable to ai and robotics uh, i was there the reported on that but afterwards we had this uh, special committee at the european parliament uh, reflect uh, reflecting about uh, a general approach on artificial intelligence and it uh, lasted at, at least uh, one year and a half and then uh, we had this uh, proposal made by the by the commission and and now uh, as i said we are uh, we are still discussing on on the topic so i i don't think that, that we are taking that uh, with uh, with with that uh, with with that uh, uh, speed uh, uh, a, a general revelation on that uh, and uh, we are trying at the same time yeah to 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 be proportionate with the goals that we are looking for at the, yeah, at, at the same time as, as the representative of OECD said, trying not to hamper our own innovation because we are quite aware too that uh, we need to uh, recover uh, recover ground uh, from uh, a, a secondary position of the technolo technology, technological advance, but trying to, yeah, to, 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 to balance uh, the field in the same way because uh, yeah, some of the of the of the current uh, most developed uh, applications of artificial intelligence uh, were developed without paying attention to things that for us Europeans are quite important. For instance, uh, there's a relevant debate uh, nowadays about the protection of IP rights. For instance, that is important for us, and we'd like to to be uh, in, in a general mark, uh, in, in a worldwide mark, uh, in the same mood that we uh, Europeans. Uh, consider uh, the protection of uh, IP rights. A lot of rights <laughs> competing for protection uh, when we talk about this area. Um, we'll come on to also data protection questions as well. Um, but let me turn uh, back to you, Paula. Um, how possible is it? You listed a lot of different um, uh, frameworks or, or approaches uh, from a lot of different bodies. How feasible is it to get all these to work together? Is there room for collaboration? Or will there be, uh, to quote Tolkien, one, one ring to rule them all and, uh, and have as an AI act as this international standard like, like the European Commission would quite like it to be? Um, yeah, thank you. I think there's, there's a lot to unpack in that question already. Um, maybe coming on so back to the expert of the EU regulation, so... Brussels effect, I guess, is the elephant in the room, of course. It was also mentioned by the opening opening words um, just a minute ago. And I think 
I agree, we're not moving too quickly, we're not moving too fast with the AI Act, rather I think we're hitting a point where we might be moving too slowly, where we're trying to fit every last latest development into the AI Act, which is challenging because the space will keep developing at the speed. So I think the focus needs to be on building some agile governance that can keep up with the speed of innovation to a certain extent. Um, so, so much to say that I don't think the Brussels effect will necessarily happen on the AI Act because we are we are not ahead anymore. Um, and I think we've, yeah, for, for a bit now probably. Um, in terms of finding like a global consensus, if we're speaking about ethical principles, that of course brings up a whole new other debate. I'm a philosopher by trade, so I won't, I won't go down that way. Um, I'll, I'll spare us that. And I think to a certain extent, geopolitics will always define and how far global cooperation is actually possible. There are certainly actors that make it difficult to cooperate with, um, whereas others might be more like-minded um, to use the the words everybody knows. <laughs> well, it's very diplomatic of you because no one wants to say it's, it's social scoring and concerns about sort of monitoring of populations that we do see in different parts of the world that we, I think, absolutely don't want happening in the European Union. Um, but there's ways of coping with that. Marco, let me come back to you. I mean, one of the things you listed as, as absolutely essential was transparency and labelling. Does that go far enough um, you know, we, we don't see uh, packages of, of products saying may contain traces of AI. Um, so what, where, are we, where are we going with the, the labeling idea and the transparency idea? Um, and doesn't that work for the good actors? But we also have to think about those maybe uh, bad actors out there. So indeed, this is something that goes very deeply in what the, some of the potential risks that we see with artificial intelligence. And on this, for example, you can see that in the executive order of the U.S. press that was published a couple of weeks ago, there was some direct reference to uh, authentication and watermarking water of specific, basically on any content that is uh, produced by AI, by generative AI. So the point is that also there, you can think it relative, I mean, I would say relatively easily because still it's very, the implementation, it could be extremely hard to do, but to say that, okay, in an article, you get watermark article you're reading online if it has been generated by a generator. But already if you think of a video audio file, that starts to be very tricky because there may be there might be a disclaimer at the very beginning, but then malicious act with the cap the few seconds and then get the rest. So again the technical issues there would be plenty. The point is, uh, of course, uh, you need some ways to um I mean to understand how to protect IP rights again uh, uh, Mr. Garcia del Blanco were, was referring to it, as well as uh, Paula from the studio, uh, as well as uh, rights and ethics. But the point is how you, um, let's say, let a competitive AI, AI ecosystem to develop, so leaving a space for innovation while trying to keep, uh, uh, to keep together uh, these kind of fundamental values that you want to be there. You want, in any case, to be implemented, and you want to, again, write that to protect your citizens. And I have to say that you know, international level, we have seen that there have been a lot of different uh, different approaches to this. And it's, again, I'm referring to international experiences as at the OECD. This is also to change a common uh, common misunderstanding. Sometimes we do not regulate the OECD, but we support governments that then do regulate. So for us, it's like a, it's a kind of an advisory position we're in. And we have seen that around the world uh, there have been uh, people that are going from ethical frameworks to codes of conduct, uh, guidelines, 
uh, trying to introduce standards. Uh, I don't know, in Canada recently, they also introduced what we call the algorithmic impact assessment, as well as regulatory standards, this kind of thing. So there are also different regulatory um, tools that can be used in order to try to keep up and try to catch up with this with the development of this uh, large language model. And again, here we have to look, uh, again, large, large language model, referring mostly to generative AI. And maybe I will conclude, as I think before uh, we were all referring to China, I think a very interesting development there is that now, as we know already, as we were talking about the great firewall at the time when talking about the internet, like the digital economy already in China, we know that uh, there is a very advanced censorship of what can and cannot go online. And for example, now we know that they have quite uh, advanced research and quite a lot of publication as well that are being starting to be shared at international level on building large language model uh, as sensors of bigger large language, a bigger foundation model. So basically you have a foundation model and you build and train another one so that it can recognize an existing foundation model is breaking the, breaking the law or not. So again, there is innovation in all directions and even using these, own, these same tools to regulate themselves and to check themselves. Well, thank you, Marco. Okay, well, we're going to we're going to persevere and try again. I'm told you have reconnected, so hopefully that will have done the trick. Uh, we have been talking uh, quite a bit, so we've we've touched on things now. We've now started talking generative AI, large language models, biometrics. There's a lot to regulate, isn't there? Uh, tell us about what you react to, what you've heard so far, and what you think uh, the approach should be. Yes. Well, I hope that you can hear me well now. Yes, much better. Perfect, thanks. Yeah, so I have been uh, listening to all of my colleagues' points and also your points as well for recent discussion. And based on what Marco just said, in terms of China, I think a very interesting point of this is the AI Act is how large language models will be implemented and will be regulated. So, I mean, that's the case, how and to what extent, why? For example, when you look International scenario where we have master several US led sanctions vis a vis the semiconductors and AI components to Chinese companies and as well to some Chinese providers. What we have to see is that uh, in case of large language models, uh, there will be some impact on how the China's the companies working on large language models will develop these uh, services. Because when you sanction semiconductors, you are as well sanctioning graphic processing units, which are essential for producing LLMs. So this means that depending on how the European Union, the Council of the European Union, as well as the trilogues decide on LLMs, will have strong impact not only on how the EU deploys the invoice, but also how each of the member states can frame and govern their own sanctions, because it is true that the sanctions are great in terms of the level, but afterwards the, afterwards the implementation and the interpretation on each member state. And we saw that, for example, in the case of Netherlands a few months ago, when the Dutch government decided to, to join this as for semiconductors that, as I said, really impact on the LLM's development by some companies. So in terms of the international agenda of the, of the AI Act, there are a large number of small details that can make a strong difference. 
And that is why uh, when we look at some international negotiations, not even negotiations, maybe justice patterns that are taking place at the global level, we have the case of the UN. The UN Secretary General just created the UN High Level Advisory The idea is to provide by a number of experts to the upcoming 2024 Global Digital Compact. This will not have any sort of legal binding impact on any country, but it will have the sort of impact on how you frame the discussion. In this case, I feel that the European Union, stakeholders in general, not only governments, but also civil society actors, could have a voice in this. Because even if it's not, not at least for me, it is unlikely that at least currently we could have a sort of international legally binding norm. Maybe on safety, maybe on security. We have seen that in the safety AI summit, even if most countries from the plural south were missing, except for Chile, Brazil, and other countries from the African continent. But still, there is a sort of, uh, of, of uh, there is a way of uh, framing your own narrative in this discussion. And I feel that this two issues, how a specific EU member states can frame the top on AI at the global level and also can be a major Okay, well, thank you. Um, I think if I'm understanding correctly, you're saying we are really quite a long way from any sort of internationally legally binding um, agreement, but that, of course, member states even themselves may may have differences uh, within the EU. So that that is a, a problem if you're in the business of uh, being an entrepreneur developing AI, uh, regardless of what type of uh, AI that might be. Um, but I do want to, to talk a bit about this, this labeling. Um, in particular, uh, Ivan, the question has come in from a, a, one of our audience members already um, about the uh, the, the labeling uh, of fake news, uh, what are the provisions regarding disinformation, uh, particularly during the upcoming election period for the European Parliament, but also elections in general? Microphone. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I for, forget it every time <laughs> I have to use it. Uh, yeah, that's a, a very important topic. We are discussing on that uh, in this uh, very moment uh, about, uh, again, in which extension, because I think that we have some kind of general agreement that we need some kind of, of identification about the, the, the unlawful uh, uses and unethical uses of uh, deep fakes. But uh, the question again is in, in which way uh, the provisions will be binding and at, at which extent. Uh, of course, we agree about uh, the, the use in, in, in arts or in, 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 in a non-injuring uh, non, uh, non way could be a subject of, of, of no control at all. But uh, it's quite different uh, to, to mark the difference, uh, to, to mark exactly the, the limit to that. Uh, I put a piece of example. We are discussing about uh, the, um, the labeling, for instance, of, of texts. That is a, a, another important thing, that depending on, 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 on this label or not, we could uh, be uh, uh, dealing with, uh, with, uh, with uh, 
a piece of of of, of a newspapers that we we could take from made by by a human being, for instance, and and that that makes a difference depending on the moment, mainly for journalists and for the role of journalists inside this uh, this uh, this information field. That is important from a systemic point of view about the sustainability of a of a whole uh, job and a whole way to make uh, journalism, and that is, again, uh, additionally, uh, a, a, a piece of, 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 or a key piece of importance in the functioning of our democracies, I, I mean, journalism. Uh, but, of course, uh, uh, talking about uh, the, the use of, of defects in video or, 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 or even uh, in, in voices, uh, I think that is quite quite uh, quite easy uh, to make up ourselves in which way uh, in which way could, could be destroying uh, for uh, general confidence or uh, general uh, general yeah general confidence uh, even in, in democratic uh, con contest uh, um, and in this regard it's not just a matter of this uh, negotiation of artificial intelligence act because there are more pieces of regulation that are taking into account that in order to regulate. Another piece important that is going to be uh, negotiated uh, at, uh, at a trilogue uh, this uh, very month is about the Media Freedom Act. And in this Media Freedom Act, there are some uh, other uh, provisions about the use of, of deep fakes and the control of these deep fakes uh, in, in the democratic constant, context. And no, no, not only on that, but even in, in, uh, um, in uh, Politi uh, political uh, advertisement. That is another piece uh, important. We recently uh, approved uh, a, a piece of regulation on that about uh, public, uh, about uh, politics uh, advertisement, and we put up uh, some kind of provisions on that uh, uh, too. So uh, yeah, it's an, an important topic. Uh, we are from the European Parliament again have a very cautious approach. Uh, we try to be. Uh, so intuitive uh, in the way to uh, to, to to control uh, as much as we could uh, the, this this kind of of of, of unlawful uses, but uh, the council, uh, I'm afraid, that are quite more open on that. Uh, and again, we are discussing on the exact point or the concrete point of balance on that. Well, thank you. This is obviously something that has sparked interest. I see another comment or uh, question coming in from Tony Gregory saying, historic IP model of photographers owning the IP to their pictures had to change for the advent of moving pictures. Otherwise, the film and TV industry, as we know it today, would never have got started. Should we stick with the old notion of IP uh, when we're looking to the future with generative AI? I suppose the point is that we come back to harms because anyone who's been to the cinema recently will have seen some CGI and no one's really concerned that that needs to be stop the film. We need to be labeling this. It's when it comes down to the risk based approach that it needs to, to matter. Uh, so thank you, Tony, for the comment. Um, but we'll not get stuck into IP questions right now. Um, I'm going to come back to Marco, actually, because we have another question as well, Marco. Uh, this one's for you. Um, one of the debates in the AI Act trialogues is the regulation of the Global Partnership on Artificial Intelligence. Um, what's your opinion on the proposal of self-regulation only? Isn't that transferring, transferring the responsibility to the deployer who has no access to the settings of the original system? Uh, I, I think we're getting there at where does responsibility lie? And uh, we'll come back uh, then a little bit more on that as well. So Marco, your thoughts on that question? 
Sure. Then, Alok, please uh, let me first uh, make a make a, a disclaimer saying that uh, I'm not in the, I'm not working directly in the global partnership of the guy. Not part of the team in the US. So uh, you can just speak. I uh, can just bring some of the uh, reflection that uh, I know from the colleagues I work closely with, but uh, not working directly. This and also a second disclaimer that also it's not for the OECD to um, to judge or to evaluate what they will do. So we serve at the interest of the country. So basically, we will take uh, we will work as a secretariat and the, the let's say the global partnership on AI as well will move in the direction that the countries will decide to move it toward because that's the nature of the exercise. So it's not for the OECD to take any decisions on this. One point that we can say is that of course. In, uh, within the global partnership on AI, and as well, you know that in USD there are quite a lot uh, of initiatives that have been launched uh, at international level. We are uh, working as a secretariat as well to support the Hiroshima process that starts at G7 level, as well as we look at the Global Forum on Technology. There are various bodies across USD, and of course the OECD AI uh, policy uh, policy framework and, and the principles in, in which we are trying to look at AI under quite a lot of different aspects, and we are trying to, to touch on them all. So as you can imagine, it's quite, uh, quite, quite a tough, tall order. Uh, and the point there is that indeed, uh, um, the point on self-regulation, it's uh, um, it, uh, as everything, it goes back to the, to the balance in the sense that we, re, um, we remember when at the beginning, when there was the first, uh, let's say, explosion of, uh, of this generative AI phenomenon, when ChatGPT got to Got uh, to the public, and a few months later as well, we knew that in the U.S. the first reaction, basically, in the White House, they gathered uh, the tech leaders and basically they asked them to uh, self-regulate themselves, like they basically proposed them to abide by some uh, by, by guidelines. The point is that indeed uh, um, it's a tough balancing act, and again, it's not for the U.S.D. to decide. Of course, for the U.S.D. it's only to advise and try to support to the best our capabilities, but the point there is to decide where the um, heavier, uh, where, where the regulations should be, should hit harder. Because of course, when you're talking about self-regulation, it's something that uh, it's difficult, more difficult to enforce. And so you can say in this way, you are leaving uh, the ones that are producing foundation models much freer to do what they want to do. Uh, while uh, at the same time, some people are saying, okay, it makes sense when you're developing something that is as broad as a foundation model. Uh, it's uh, um, put, putting regulation more on the application developer kind of can have uh, an effect also on the foundation models because then the foundation models that are e in which it's easier to demonstrate that you are complying to regulation are the ones that would be used the most to develop apps. So indeed, they will have a very strong competitive advantage then in the market. So indirectly, you are regulating them. Of course, Again, it's a matter of priorities, and again, it's a matter for uh, for I mean, for in democracies, it's a matter for elected officials to decide on. But this is something on which in the uh, this will I think it will polarize the discussion. We're already seeing it that dialogue in the EU is polarizing the discussion, but this is something happening also in other I mean, Canada and the US, in different parts of the uh, of the OECD and of the world. And maybe if I can finish on one point on this, is that also. It's uh, a process in which we are trying to be, uh, we think at least that uh, um, dialogue with stakeholders, with private sector is particularly key. Like it's in many areas, it is, but in this particular area, it's uh, it's really fundamental. And on this 
For example, I'm coordinating an initiative that is called Digital for SME, in which we talk about digitalization of small companies. And of course, uh, we are partnering also with Microsoft, with other uh, large tech providers, in order to try to have at the table all the actors that are involved. Of course, the government, but both large and small tech players and small businesses are the ones that will be receiver of the technology. Because again, in this area, I think that's really even more important than, uh, than, than it usually is. Thank you, Marco. Um, lucky for you to have so many caveats as an advisor. Um, very diplomatic. Paula, um, let me turn back to you on this question of responsibility and in particular codes of conduct. I mean, what is your view on how those can be implemented, how they can actually work in practice uh, aligned with you know, the various different frameworks? Um, where also is the role, as Marco mentioned, for private industry within that? Yeah, I think I'm generally rather skeptical of code of conducts and self-regulation. Um, I'm not sure in how far we can trust that um, when there is also a profit on the other end that you might be benefiting off and how far we can trust um, that code of conducts are enforced. And especially if there is yeah, not a global body that can provide some oversight over that. I think that is a tricky um, a tricky approach, which might be controversial. I don't know, curious to hear more about it later. Um, and I think private stakeholders definitely have a role to play, right? We need the expertise, they know what is happening, they know where in innovation stands. But also within that, there's also a question of equality. Who has the resources among those private actors to actually engage in meaningful dialogue? Who has time and resources to spend to be part of international standard standardization um, Efforts. So I think there's also a role to play for like um, SME associations to elevate those voices that are usually overlooked. Well, absolutely. And of course, all SMEs are not created equal. They can be from the very traditional background with little technology to absolutely high tech generative AI startups. Um, Iban, a couple of questions for you that I think I'm going to link because they in some ways uh, apply to exemptions. Uh, Jose is asking, with the many changes applied to the text, do you feel there is a risk to the automotive exemption in the final trialogue? Um, another question then is also regarding the implications of the use of AI in defense, cybersecurities, and, and national uh, opt-outs. What's your thought on exemptions for sectorial specific areas? I'm, um, I don't see exactly uh, this... Uh this uh, this this chance uh, at the end is not exactly a thing at, about the areas. Uh, uh, as, as was said uh, from the very beginning, uh, we are trying to approach uh, or to to make a general approach uh, of of a whole horizontal regu regulation from the perspective of of possible dangers and, and possible harm. And in this regard, the exceptions might be in the way of uh, things. Uh, some sometimes. Technical, uh, like uh, or technical, or, or even, uh, 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 or, or, or even uh, uh, juridical, no? Like uh, which kind of matters are under the umbrella of treaties? Uh, in this regard, for instance, one of the discussions is, is about uh, a national uh, or a member state competence that is national security, for instance. Uh, beforehand, a general regulation or a, a regulation by the European Union is not be able uh, to regulate on this point. And uh, again, uh, it's quite blurring sometimes the limit between uh, uh, national security and the prohibitions of, uh, of uh, non-desirable uses uh, in 
things like uh, the use of artificial intelligence in massive surveillance, for instance. It's quite, quite difficult sometimes to, to put the red line, uh, which exactly is the point. No? So I, I, I don't see that uh, we are going to make uh, some kind of differences uh, between uh, the, the players that are in, at, at the stake. For instance, uh, we were uh, highlighting uh, the role of, of SMEs. And that, 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 that's true that we have to, to, to be cautious about the, the impact uh, on uh, SMEs of, uh, of, of an, a, a over-regulation that it, I think it's, it's more and more a, a responsibility by the uh, public uh, institutions to make sure that they are able to adapt themselves to th this regulation uh, by uh, the, the, the public encouragement and the public support than to uh, make an exception on the, uh, on the, uh, on the compliment of, of this uh, uh, of this binding regulation because we are dealing with uh, fundamental rights, for instance. So uh, it doesn't matter uh, the player that could put at risk a fundamental right. The important thing is to avoid uh, to a fundamental right be broken. No? So I think that we are not the dealing, dealing with that in, in that moment. And I don't remember exactly the, the second question, sir. Oh, no, that was it. It was, it was about exemptions for particularly national security, but then I was going to move on to ah, build okay. on questions of security so and cyber security. You answered <laughs> it. Yes, indeed. Um, have we questions in the room? Anybody want to raise a hand with a question to any of our panellists? Um, and if so, I think I see one here tentatively. Um, if we can get a microphone to the gentleman here. Anybody else so that I know who I need to go to next? Okay. Yes, my name's um, Oliver Gray. In fact, I was just typing a, press, um, a question in. So I was listening to what you were saying about um, on, on self-regulation. And surely with the delays that we've got um, in getting international agreements and things, we need, to, we need people to do things now to put some principles in place. So one was, what are the things that we need to be encouraging people who are sitting there um, thinking about what should we do because we're looking at this situation? And secondly, surely the solution is to have some key things about what self-regulation should be doing, um, to, ha to have some key pointers, um, what those systems should have be, and please not like the GDPR, which did not encourage those types of systems. Okay, well, we're not going to rehash the GDPR and its implementation at this point because we have only a few minutes left. Um, Paula, would you like to talk, I know you said you're a bit sceptical of self-regulation, but are there any defining principles that you think could underpin our advice on that area for business? Mm, I think I'm more curious to hear from, from the other <laughs> panelists on this question. Okay, no I'll problem. Be um, Ivan, I'm sure you have thoughts on this. No, I have to say that I'm skeptical to, to self-regulation, but I think that we can create the conditions in, in, in which we could uh, encourage self-regulation uh, in, in the way that could be more profitable than, than not, not, to have, not having. No? Uh, and in this regard, for instance, uh, we are going to establish, and I, I, I was mentioned that, I, we are going to establish some common principles, some general principles on every piece of artificial intelligence used in, in the European Union for all uh, the uses. And I think that we'll have uh, a, a, big, a, big, uh, a big room uh, to uh, make uh, a, 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 an ethical use of artificial intelligence in uh, whichever uh, application that we could think about. Because if you take note of, of our uh, general approach, uh, if, we took, if you took, take note about uh, 
this kind of of, uh, of obligations of uh, high risk applications and of course prohibited uh, prohibited uses of artificial intelligence in the European Union at the end of the day will uh, will uh, will uh, will realize that there there are the few there are few uh, there are so, so little uh, at the end uh, general use of artificial intelligence um, will be absolutely uh, out of any kind of control. Uh, will be the, 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 the most common use of artificial intelligence inside the European Union. So when we are talking about over regulation, there are some kind of, uh, from my point of view, at least some kind of, of, of exaggeration because it will be not so. Uh, so I think that, there are, that there's room enough uh, to make some kind of self-regulation in any of the fields in order to make a, a more, uh, a, a more uh, beneficial for uh, for common for common people, the use of artificial intelligence. So we'll see uh, if self-regulation will be enough or not in this regard. And uh, again, uh, I would like to touch upon a, a little a, a, a little uh, debate on that that was mentioned uh, quite slightly in in our interventions. That is about the, the common interest, the the, the the common share of the benefits of artificial intelligence. From this point of view, I think that we have another chance, and and the sectors. Have a, that will develop these uh, uh, tools of artificial intelligence will have uh, ways uh, to make sure that benefits and this is a kind of self, uh, of self-regulation from an ethical point of view. These benefits could uh, be shared uh, for the the, the the more people that that we we could uh, we could achieve uh, for them. No? So I think that we'll have room in enough, but at the same time we we'll have to take care of the real dangers, the real harms. And for that, I'm quite ex that, uh, as skeptical as my colleague uh, did in, uh, or, or said in, uh, before. Yeah. Oh, I, if, I may, if I may say, uh, jump on that, Chip. Um, because you mentioned that we need to put principles in place, and principles are great because we can interpret them according to the context in which they apply, but that also means that there's a lot of room for interpretation, right? Mm -hmm. Just thinking about the concept of equality uh, can mean so many different things. Um, which is not necessarily the most relevant to AI, but fairness as well. There are many different ways in which we can understand it. So if we do want to have self-regulation, we need to have potentially certification schemes, and those have to be very specific so that we don't have too much room for interpretation of broad principles, um, just to, to add on that. And then, yeah, there are risk, risk, um, high-risk use cases that should not fall under self-regulation. Uh, thank you very much. Um, I know we've only just got a, a moment or two left to wrap up, um, and I'm going to come back to Raquel and Marco very briefly. I think we've covered the impacts on, on what were probably the three main spheres. We've talked a bit about the impact on society, the possibility of deep fakes, the possibility of disinformation and impacts on elections. We've also looked at a little bit about the geopolitical landscape, the impact on how we in Europe interact with the rest of the world. I think the third area, which we haven't probably talked about quite as much, is the impact on industry and on competitiveness uh, for companies in Europe and how, how that might play out. So I'm going to hand uh, Raquel in a very brief uh, <laughs> effort to just one or two minutes sum up. Do you think we're putting the emphasis on the right areas and what are your sort of thoughts uh, as, as we wrap up? Yes, I would like to just make two, two, two points. So, uh, the first point will be well, two years ago, my work has consultant joint research center at the European Commission on mapping how member states were delivering the national 
Spanish Malayas Rhetis based on the previous Code Plan Polingai, which was released in 2018 and updated in 2021. And, and one of the main outputs from that mapping of capacities was basically that even if for all member states a number of high impact sectors to which they should devote public and private funds to support industries developing AI solutions for the environment, AI solutions for mobility, AI solutions for health, we have a limited sector. And still, some countries prefer certain top priority sectors instead of others. So, this means that we can have a basic ground based on what we want as the union, but still. It is still up to each member state to decide what are their priority sectors. And this has a direct impact on how the industry perceives the attractiveness to go to a certain European country to invest in AI, to, to set up a specific industry plants on the ground, and also hire people, which is another challenge for the international leadership, having a talent in Europe to create a favorite talent. And the second point will be that, also based on, on some of the comments that you just made on national security and uh, how this impacts and how this has an impact on the industry, I think it's very important to, to, to make a difference because, because sometimes we have the case of Europe that the European Union discusses about European security, but at the very end, national security depends on the national countries. So sometimes so there are some still there are some blurring lines on the dual use of technologies and also of AI. Now, the European Commission is deciding to into the wording of critical technologies instead of dual use technologies. And I think that is partially because AI is one of the top of technologies in this area. And this will also help the European Commission and also member states frame a common approach to AI, especially in the implications of security and also in the industry itself, as well in its legal certainty. Raquel, thank you, and thank you for highlighting the, if you like, the high-priority sectors, which I guess we could broadly... Uh, term under the umbrella of AI for good, so things where it can deliver on sustainability goals, uh, deliver on communication goals, deliver on things like using things like clean tech and so on. Marco, um, a final wrap-up thought from you, either drawing on competitiveness, on geopolitical, or if you like, on the more societal aspects. Competitiveness again, the work, especially uh, with entrepreneurs, means uh, one point I would make uh, is that uh, indeed, there is a, there are two things that we have to be very careful about for the development of competitive AI markets. And one is at, let's say, the high level. Of course, as we have seen already in the development of digital markets, uh, is that the, there is a very strong uh, possibility, a very strong risk of extreme uh, oligopoly, so like concentration of power, concentration of market power. And we know that our competition authorities also do struggle quite a lot because indeed it's I say the usual uh, the usual terms that have been used in competition by competition authorities in the past to regulate or in the digital economy have found uh, themselves uh, relatively hollow in some ways to try to avoid this process. And the second part is uh, again talking about AI, but more specifically about generative AI. Is that generative AI really lowered the barrier to entry, meaning that now any kind of business can really use it? I have my brother has a very 
small business. He has three people working for him, so like what we call a micro business. And he produced, basically, he redid all his marketing material using ChatGPT during the last year because it's just, you know, free and hyper easy to do. But at the same time, uh, don't have to, uh, I, mean, and this, I mean, of course, policymakers, and again, uh, for us looking at it as research, we don't have to, to, to think that the fact that the, low, the barriers to entry are lower means that the digital divide is not there. And I would conclude with the three points that we know are key to access these technologies and to use them in a to increase productivity and to use them in the right way, also for again smaller actors and smaller businesses. It's uh, the one it's access to uh, one is access to finance, one it's access, access to to talent, so to the people that can do it, and third one is access to data, access to data and computing power in this sense. And again, we think that for these three key aspects, there is something that regulators can do and policymakers can do in order to really make the development of this technology as democratic and competitive as possible. Thank you very much, Marco and Raquel. And of course, thank you to our panelists in the room. Um, there's been a lot to cover. We've been trying to focus on where the AI Act without having seen the final text, will fit in relation to those other global movements and frameworks and uh, codes of conduct. Um, and I think possibly we can sum up and say, in some ways, AI is a tool like any other in that we need to have some sort of coherence. And in many ways, AI is a tool unlike any other in that we are taking into account so many other spheres of influence that it could impact on rather than simply just straightforwardly looking at European competitiveness. So thank you so much for all your questions online. Apologies for some of those technical hitches, uh, but we hope you've enjoyed this discussion and you can continue the debate online using the hashtag EA Debates. Thank you very much for joining us and have a great evening.